Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the FAI Weekly Podcast. While Sarbanes-Oxley is over two decades old, the development of new technologies and the constantly evolving regulatory landscape means that compliance remains a moving target. In this episode of the podcast, we speak with Andrew Struthers-Kennedy, Productivity's Managing Director and Global Leader of its internal audit and financial advisory practice, regarding the firm's 14th annual Sarbanes-Oxley Compliance Survey and the changes he's seeing at the intersection of technology and internal controls. Great. Thanks for, for joining us today uh, for a discussion uh, around SOX controls and some of the recent research that Protivity has done. So um, maybe, Andrew, we could start a little bit about your background and, and what your focus is on right now at Protivity. Sure, Chris. Yeah, well, thanks for um, having me and uh, appreciate you allowing me to spend some time with your audience. Um, my name is Andrew Struthers-Kennedy, Managing Director with Protivity. We're a global consulting firm, and I lead our internal audit and financial advisory practice on a global basis. So part of my uh, responsibility in the, the practice area I oversee is you know, delivering services to internal audit leaders, to controls and Sarbanes Oxley or SOX program leads, to finance and accounting executives, to boards and audit committees of boards. Uh, and we you know, deliver services that range everything from uh, helping establish strategy for those groups, uh, helping define and support the implementation of governance structures, right through to uh, supporting the implementation and use of emerging technologies for internal audit and controls purposes, and of course, kind of the execution of control testing programs, uh, individual internal audits, and entire internal audit programs uh, from just a you know a, a range of uh, directions. So, hopefully, that helps. It does, and and I'm, we're going to have a little conversation today about some of the research uh, you put out around uh, SOX controls, and 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 maybe you can give a little back background about the the report you worked on and and what its history is. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're talking about the the annual uh, Sarbanes-Oxley Compliance Survey that Protivity recently published. And we've been publishing now for close to our entire history. Protivity has been around for you know, 21 plus years. Um, and so the, the timing of our establishment coincided with the establishment of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act and the writing of that into law. Uh, and we were really in those early days at the, the very forefront of providing practical, detailed thought leadership and consulting services around uh, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act and implementation considerations and how organizations should be thinking kind of practically and from a top-down basis, uh, how to implement and then execute you know, right-sized um, Sarbanes-Oxley programs. And, you know, we've been we've been going through that journey with many of our clients and the broader market in the two decades since uh, SOX was kind of written into law and became effective or the almost two decades. Um, so we've, we've had uh, that position as really kind of the thought leader, at least in, in, in my opinion, on this topic. And a big portion of that thought leadership has been driven through our annual 
survey, which you know seeks to provide information and analysis on things like scope, uh, scoping changes, areas of emphasis, you know, hours, costs, use of technology, uh, priority areas of focus from external auditors and a whole range of other topics. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm sure with a survey and a report that's been done over you know ten years, decades, um, things change on an annual basis. But this year's report really uh, a couple of things that struck out the report. This year's report cites an increased reliance on automation and you know, especially the the topic du jour of generative AI when it comes to SOX compliance and internal controls. Could you uh, cite what, what the most significant changes were when it comes to those issues and the biggest leap forward you're seeing in those? Yeah, I think um, many organizations or most organizations are, are really trying to find a way to continue to execute effective compliance programs, SOX compliance programs, whilst driving efficiency into the way they do that and helping them manage both total hours, but also costs. And I think, especially with the emergence over the last several years and in the last 12 months, right, the thrusting into the sort of the public spotlight, really, the, the generative AI tooling and capabilities, technology is one of the areas that, that organizations are really looking hard at. And I mean, I think at the core of, of most organizations sort of technology stack is work paper management or GRC or more comprehensive GRC, governance, risk and compliance platforms and solutions. And our, our survey indicates that, you know, close to two thirds of organizations are now actively using that type of platform or solution at the heart of their uh, enabling technology for for SOX compliance. Um, and in fact, one of the leading providers of GRC solutions, Audit Board, was a partner of ours or our partner in in the, the survey that we published. And they've been our partner for a number of years in, in publishing it. Um, but I think organizations are also now, you know, increasingly looking at the range of sort of emerging technologies, some of which would have probably been on the fringe of SOX compliance or internal audit activities in recent years, but looking to see what advantages can be you know, gained from incorporating those type of techs into the SOX compliance program. Gen AI is you know, the thing that everyone's talking about. So it's I think it's only natural that organizations are, are taking a hard look at how that might be able to be helpful in, in SOX compliance. I, I think it's probably fair to say our, our survey kind of supports this and a, and a recent Institute of Internal Auditors, IAA, uh, pulse check on, on specifically on ChatGPT also kind of supports this. Most are not yet actively using Gen AI or large language model capabilities as, as part of audit or controls slash SOX activities. But I think everyone is curious. Uh, the vast majority are aware of generally the capabilities. Um, some are much more aware of use cases that they might be able to pursue. Uh, I think one of the kind of inhibitors that uh, is is real right now is the challenge in establishing a private version of something like a chat GPT, right? So it's in the boundaries of an organization's computing network. Uh, they, they can have, they have control over the data inflows and outflows. 
uh, and they can be kind of assured to the level they need to be of kind of the confidentiality of that data. So I think that's the, that's probably the biggest inhibitor that we're seeing preventing kind of more broad scale adoption. But there's there's a lot of curiosity, a lot of exploration uh, and experimentation going on right now with Gen AI in particular. And then I'll just really quickly, a couple of other sort of points to make. There's um, increasing kind of pursuit and use of workflow tools, uh, automation, utilities um, for notification, for alerting, for managing the document request process, which is a staple of every controls testing and SOX compliance program. Uh, for managing kind of outreach and communications to stakeholders, process owners, control owners, and others. So I think there's a there's a broader ecosystem of technology that we're we're seeing uh, increasingly being integrated into the the overall programs. One follow-up I had was uh, just thinking about this. I mean, you've been following this for a number of years, as you said, um, and technology is constantly changing. In in this case, is there is there a is is there a consistent sort of low hanging fruit when it comes to these new technologies that, uh, in terms of either SOX compliance or internal controls, that automation and new technologies lend themselves to, where the finance functions focus on that first, or is it sort of situational to each new technology? Well, I think there's there's always a sort of a natural tendency to try and you know. Um, focus the tech on maybe the the really hard to solve problems rather than the less complex um, challenges, but the activities that are performed day in, day out. And I, I mean, I, I just referred to as an example, like document request mm-hmm. management. Um, so the, the gathering of artifacts to support the evaluation of individual controls. Every organization does that. Most organizations don't do it efficiently. Mm-hmm. It's done uh, via email. It's done through via other communications channels. Uh, it often results in a misunderstanding between the requester and the receiver, uh, the wrong the wrong version provided, uh, not centrally um, managed version control issues, so on and so forth. So you know th- those kinds of issues using technology, either analytic data solutions to do outreach and, and grab data from the source directly, or automation type solutions to do the same for uh, other, or, you know, a range of other artifacts. I think those those can be really valuable ways in which to kind of pursue the use of tech to drive efficiency and effectiveness into into controls programs. So we would always recommend that an organization takes a a look at and inventories all of the activities they perform um, and then does an evaluation around the potential for technology to help address those, focusing on those that are kind of repetitive in nature, happen frequently, take up a lot of time, maybe have been prone to human error in the past, uh, the types of challenges that technology can help us solve. One thing that the report mentions is is uh, something that really caught my eye is despite the new technology, the, the report also points out that SOX compliance costs continue to rise. And this seems to be like a, something that our members are constantly talking about, that even though they implement these new systems, they're not necessarily always seeing the return on investment or seeing the, the decrease in their costs. Um, why do you think that is? And, and um, why do you think finance functions aren't seeing sort of the efficiency they prom- they see promised by the technology? 
Yeah, there's there's a, a few reasons, and you know, among them, I think are well. First of all, I'd say most organizations don't routinely and rigorously do a fresh look at this their risk assessment and their scoping mm-hmm. to ensure that they haven't had over time scope creep that's resulted in a outsized right, uh, controls SOX controls program. Um, that requires kind of therefore more effort than would be needed. So I would say, uh, if not annually, then every other year, there should be a fairly robust a process to refresh, revamp the risk assessment and the scoping and ensure it remains consistent with top, your know, top-down risk-based approach uh, and is really focused on um, the processes, controls, systems, and other aspects of the internal control environment that are material to the financial reporting integrity. So, so that that would be one, and I would consider that to be you know a basic mm-hmm. item. And almost always, where you know we work with or see organizations doing that, they they see scoping efficiencies realized. Now, do that with it with uh, coordination with your external audit right. firm. Certainly, make sure they're kind of along for the ride. Uh, but be prepared to have you know robust discussions around scoping changes that management's exercise might indicate are appropriate. Um, so that's a segue into probably the the next area, which is via the PCOB or PCOB via the external auditors. The inspection process continues to drive uh, in, you know increased procedural depth from the external auditors. And that's driving them to kind of the external audit firms to be pushing more onto management uh, or to be taking, you know, performing broader scopes of work or more in-depth procedures. And there's a whole whole array of areas in which that's happened over the last, uh, you know, half dozen or so years um, that I'm sure, you know, most of your listeners are very familiar right. with. Uh, that That's driving increases in in scope and effort. Uh, I, I would say probably, you know, th- those two and then, you know, business complexities and other sort of business specific factors uh, are obviously driving kind of increases in scope. So we'd encourage a, a refresh and a risk assessment. We'd encourage really good, active, consistent dialogue with the external auditors. We'd encourage, um, you know, serious attempts and efforts to simplify and standardize controls, uh, especially if you've got a multi-geo or a multi um, country or multi-product line organization, right? C- creating standardization and consistency of controls across those is very helpful. And then increasingly, we're seeing when organizations exploring kind of shared service capabilities uh, from a from a controls perspective as well as a business perspective to help drive those those efficiencies so testing centers of excellence or testing shared service functions onshore and or offshore um have you know have had a pretty clear um up, you know benefit from an efficiency standpoint so i guess my follow-up to that was did you think that the dialogue that you know my members should be having either with the audit committee or with the ward is less about um, technology reducing costs and more about mitigating the, you know, the, the probable increase in costs because of a increase in either scope or, or uh, regulatory scope. Should, should, should that, the, what 
should that be the dialogue they're having? I, I, I think it's, it depends, which is you right. know, the typical answer, but I think it's probably all of it. Uh, I, I mean, I do think, and we've seen certainly uh, the use of technology in a focused way help create efficiency improvements. So a reduction in hours, reduction in cost over time, mm. right? You're, you're always going to make some investment in the use of technology in the first you know, period or two. Uh, GRC, tech, GRC platforms and technologies would be a great example of that, where there is always upfront cost to license and implement and then ongoing costs as well. But the efficiency that you gain and, and to a degree, the effectiveness you gain in the program around having those at the core of your technology stack um, is, 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 is well proven. Um, then, then I think it's being you know, really focused and prioritizing where and how you integrate other technologies into your environment, um, not just in from a control testing perspective, but also in the business processes themselves to help increase the level of automation and reduce the amount of you know, manual activity that's occur that occurs in the execution right of, of controls so I, th I think it's i think it's a bit mm -hmm. of all of it but you need to be every every organization it you know with their context in mind needs to kind of be realistic about what where they can see those those benefits um and from what areas they're most likely to be able to realize those since 1931, Financial Executives International has been the leading advocate for the views of corporate financial management. Its more than 10,000 members hold policy-making positions as chief financial officers, chief accounting officers, controllers and treasurers at companies from every major industry. And FEI enhances its members' professional development through peer networking, career management services, conferences, research, and publications. Join FEI today to network with key influencers, understand emerging issues, advocate for corporate finance, and boost your career opportunities. Both individual and corporate membership options are available. Go to www.financialexecutives.org and click on Become a Member, or look for the link in this episode's show notes. Now, the, this year report also cites something that caught my eye, that, that external lawyers are spending more time on, on source code reviews within the finance function. Can you give an example of what that would look like? And, and even more importantly, are finance functions equipped to manage those sort of reviews, both you know, in terms of technical manpower and, and perspective? Yeah, a great, great question. And this is an example of uh, where external auditors sort of pressures internally or externally that they're, they're under is resulting in a um, heightened procedures mm -hmm. over pre-existing scope areas. And, and in particular, source code review is targeted at application controls or system configurations that are a component, an in-scope component of the control environment. Uh, historically, that's been done or assurance over application or configurable controls has been done through some level of kind of baselining of those controls and then a reliance on IT general controls mm -hmm. for a period of time. Uh, and then a rebaselining would occur. The, I think that the challenge or question now is, is that sufficient? Um, sh should, and should we be examining those application controls, those configurable items at a greater level of granularity. 
And that's where I think we're seeing kind of that pressure coming from and that enhancement in procedures, uh, in particular in cases where the application control of the configuration is able to be or has been customized by an organization or as part of a proprietary in-house developed system, right? Uh, yeah, less emphasis, although some still on kind of out of the box code configuration application controls that are packaged into enterprise systems. So to the question of are uh, organizations equipped to do it, uh, it varies, mm. some, some better equipped than others. Uh, but it's a, it's a new area. It's an area where we, we you know, we, we are, we are seeing more consistently external audit firms asking the question, expecting management to be able to answer the question, expecting management to have their own procedures around, uh, source code review or more granular review of application controls, configurable controls as part of their overall system of internal control. So the procedures to get kind of comfortable with that a configuration is implemented as intended, as designed, and is not being you know, changed outside of that approved design. Um, those, those, the expectations of those procedures has, has evolved. And we've seen other, like I mentioned before, we've seen other examples of, of that kind of procedural uh, expectation changing mm. uh, around like IPE, management review controls. I mean, there's, there's, um, critical audit matters. There's lots of areas over the last half dozen years where, you know, we've seen, uh, an iteration of the expectation of the depth of procedures to be performed. Just to follow up, uh, you mentioned that, you know, once you hit a certain threshold that, that these, these questions need to be thought about. How do you determine, how does one determine the threshold, I guess? Um, or does that come from the auditor or external order, how, how do you determine that threshold? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it does, it goes back to kind of what I would consider to be, you know, fundamental aspects of managing a large controls program like this. Uh, you know, one is having a, a thorough risk assessment and scoping approach and methodology that's robustly documented. Um, and from which your your scoping decisions can be substantiated, mm -hmm. and then I think it's it's engaging actively and routinely with your external auditor on the the, the pro process you went through, the methodology you applied, the decisions you made, uh, getting ideally to a level of kind of concurrence on those decisions, and all again always helps if you've got a robust approach and and good documentation to support those. Um, that that would tend to then determine whether a particular system or even a control uh, might merit additional review beyond what has been done historically, right? Because it's the entire system of control that is evaluated. Now, totally appreciate that entire system is made up of a right. series of individual controls that aggregate, but it's in that, that entire system, and often we'll see complementary controls, mitigated controls, secondary controls. Uh, so it's not, you know, looking at something in isolation. It's about kind of managing the risk and being able to sufficiently mitigate the risk. That should be the focus. And you could get to that answer through 
a range of different combinations and permutations of control, right? So I think that's where, yeah, have, having that robust dialogue and having that robust approach and methodology and documentation are going to, you know, serve you, serve you well. So another point in the report, and, and this is interesting, was around the requirements for ESG as also driving SOX changes. What's your expectation of how some of the new rules, I guess in terms of carbon or others, will impact the work and its uh, and, and the focus on internal controls going forward? Yeah, and the SEC's climate disclosure rule is, I think, the, the big thing that's learning, right? right? Um, and as we sit today, having expected the final rule to be issued any time now, I think more, more realistically based on you know, conversations, you know, we're hearing in the public domain from the SEC and others, it's probably more like a Q1 timeline right. at this point with scope three greenhouse gas emissions being kind of the, the primary kind of hang up it appears. Mm. Uh, that that said, you know there are regulate international regulations, CS, CSRD in the EU, uh, being probably the most noteworthy, um, and regulations, state level regulations in particular in California on um, the, the docket to be approved shortly. Uh, most organisations are, are well, m- many are already doing some form of voluntary reporting. There is just no kind of standard by which that is being done consistently um, but most organizations are try, uh, you know, getting ahead of what they largely expect is coming soon from the SEC and taking a look at controls over sustainability reporting uh, doing uh, risk assessments or materiality assessments over their data and reporting uh, looking at the way in which greenhouse gas emission calculations are being uh, performed um, so you know, we're, we're seeing most organizations, not all, but most, uh, getting ahead of that, planning for what they expect to be coming and focusing on, you know, documenting controls over sustainability reporting to largely the same level as internal controls over financial right. reporting. One question to follow up to that, um, the California rules that were just um, passed, or signed into law. How significant are those? And and I know in just in past, when it came to things like auto emissions, you know, once California developed uh, their standards, uh, the U.S. sort of followed because it was sort of. Is that how, how important are the California uh, rules? Will they sort of propagate through the rest of the states, or what's your opinion about that? Yeah, I think to the extent history can serve as some guide here, I think that's what we should expect. Uh, in particular, kind of the more controversial areas around, you know, scope three emissions in the SEC proposed rule. Um, you know, those are firmly included in the California regs. I mean, there are there are a couple of regs. One that applies to companies over a billion that does include a scope three emission reporting mm-hmm. requirement with with third party attestation. Um, and the second that for a, a lower threshold that requires a separate report, report to be made available um, publicly um, and and other climate related financial disclosures. So 
I, I, I think I, you know, I'm not going to profess to be a expert in legislative right. cascading yeah. and propagation, but I, but I do think those are, you know, you know, we should see that as a strong signal of, you know, what's going to be the baseline and the standard going forward. So I'm going to ask my normal forward-looking wrap-up question to give an idea of what you're thinking and, and what you're seeing. But um, what do you see as the next big challenge for SOX and internal controls going into next year based on what you've seen over the past couple of years and in this year's report? Well, I think cost and budget pressures will will remain. Um, that's not necessarily new. I think that's kind of been around for a a while now, I would sort of maybe encourage organizations to think about that slightly differently and think about that from a value equation standpoint. And given that Sarbanes-Oxley is a compliance requirement for almost all public companies, how do you derive the most value from it? Uh, and how do you get maybe value from it beyond core uh, internal control of financial reporting assurance? So I think that's that's one question that as soccer program leaders, as audit committees, as finance execs, I would encourage folks to be kind of you know asking, exploring internally. Um, I think the kind of evolution of technology is going to bring interesting opportunities and challenges, right? As these technologies get implemented into uh, and integrated into business operations and even the financial reporting cycle. What does that mean from a controls perspective? What controls do we need to have in place? How does that impact our scoping? How does that impact the body of work that we have to perform? So I think that's going to be a, an interesting area. I think the evolution around using kind of shared service type or center of excellence type capabilities to help drive efficiency into the process is one that we're seeing gaining momentum. Um, so those are, those are probably two or three areas that I think uh, are, are on sort of the, the agenda for, for many who are trying to figure out how to continue to take these compliance programs forward, um, but, but derive as much value out of them as they, as they can and do them in um, an as efficient way as possible. Great. Those are my questions. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on.